okay, you made it past the pro wrestling, around the basketball, didn't get distracted by the Rick and Morty memes. That means you're inside my cage mind. Hi, I'm Micah Frankel, and this is an MMA-filled, MMA-crazed place. Let's get talking about the fights. Well, the first thing on tap today is the legend, the greatest welterweight of all time, George Rush St. Pierre. And I'm just confused by the actions. 2020, 2019, the flirtation, the allure that Carrot was being dangled. Couldn't the negotiations possibly take place to lead the UFC to Habib Nurmagomedov versus George Rush St. Pierre? Well, you could understand the hesitation of the UFC. No matter what George Rush St. Pierre says, you cannot forget 2017. 2017, George moves up to middleweight from welterweight after four years in retirement, comes back four years later, dethrones Michael Bisping of the middleweight title, and instead of keeping the title and defending it, which seemed to be what Dana White expected, what the UFC expected, GSP did what was best for him, did what he wanted, and went away from the sport. One of the things that George said at that time was he then felt it was too, he was too small to compete at 185 pounds. We've seen a naturally walk around Frankie Edgar win the 155-pound lightweight title. But George, one of the biggest welterweights we've seen, and come on, the guy was heavily muscled and looked a lot bigger than Koscheck, Finch, Daly. Most of the guys that he beat in his heyday says he's too small for the middleweight division. Well, now as we hear him start to talk about wanting to compete again, I guess that itch, it never leaves you truly. It's hard to get the, the dog out of the fight. You might get the dog to stop fighting, but you'll never take that fight out of the dog. And that, that animal was just barking inside of GSP to get out. And he sets his sights again on championship game on Habib Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov, somebody who was equally as intrigued in the proposition, had held GSP on a pedestal as the greatest MMA fighter in his opinion of all time. So to Nurmagomedov, this is the biggest fight that could possibly be made. But again, you can understand the UFC hesitation. We're bringing George back after four years at UFC 217. <laughs> he's out the door. He's gone again. Okay. We're going to bring him back in 2019 with his ultimate goal to being the lone blemish on our unbeaten champion's record. And then to, again, escape into the shadows. Again, to not continue to fight, to not defend the crown that he would win in such a big fight. GSP looking for that ultimate satisfaction. And the UFC is a business. And that business is not going to put itself in a bad position. And I'm pretty sure that's why when we were heading up to UFC 217, there was talk of the winner next meeting Robert Whitaker. 
There wasn't talk of the belt just being held in infamy after this night. There was heavy speculation of the winner fighting Whitaker. Why? Because the UFC made that fight on the assumptions and seemed to be the, I guess, handshake agreements that GSP would be a defending champion. That did not happen. And you could see that action taken by GSP, that decision made, did detriment to the relationship with Dana White. It's never been mentioned publicly, but you can see the actions speaking louder than the words. As it comes out recently, the UFC put a roadblock and halted a possible fight on Tiller that was going to see GSP against Oscar De La Hoya. De La Hoya wanting to return to active competition. Not sure if it's going to be active or an exhibition. But when talks of him returning to the ring started to occur, the Golden Boy said he wanted to fight the best, the best of the best. In Tiller fashion, best of the best being somebody that's been retired already for quite a long time and who's never stepped in the ring before. A competent mixed martial artist, a accredited mixed martial artist. I don't believe that GSP has ever boxed before. Anderson Silva, who will be boxing in June, he's boxed before. He's done Muay Thai before. GSP, as I believe it, did some point karate and then was an MMA fighter. Not sure if that's the same echelon of competition if he's ready to jump into a boxing ring. But that really hasn't seemed to matter as long as you are a personality or you have a certain kind of fan base or draw, a boxing commission is going to look totally past whatever red flags there may be. But what did halt this fight is the fact that GSP has still not fought out his UFC contract. And UFC contracts, man, they are ironclad. I mean... Even in jail time, that stuff gets cut down. You get 20 years, you're getting out in 10. You get 10, you might get parole in 5 or even less. You get 5, you might be out in 2 or 3. That's not the way it works with the UFC contract. A UFC contract, they can sign you to 4 fights. You go 0-2, ask guys, they can cut you. But on the other hand, retire and have fights left on that contract, they're not going to let you out of it. You will need to return or they will need to feel that you are such a damaged asset that it's not financially worth it and it doesn't matter to them up, down, sideways. I can't think of any of those cases off the top of my head, but we've seen with Diego Sanchez, with Anderson Silva, fights left on their deals, one maybe each. The UFC let them go. We know that optimally the UFC would have rather kept those guys around so they could have shelved them as they have shelved GSP, and GSP again shelved himself. Your GSP, you have already said in recent months that you were happy to be retired. And then the tune changes. You'd rather come out of retirement for a one-off fight to destroy the legacy of Habib Nurmagomedov, because it would be a huge achievement for you. But to the UFC, if you can't talk Habib into 
continuing to fight is it better to make this one off to make one fight's money is it better to have that legacy intact i think there was some spite in just saying we're not giving george habib and then george again walked away seemed to be content found his next dream i believe part of the falcon in the winter soldier series on Disney Plus. So from a dream of a martial artist to a dream of a world title to a dream of a multiple division world title to a dream of dethroning the unbeaten to the dream of the big stage. Big dreams and the guy keeps conquering his dreams to now have to go back to the UFC. And Hey guys, I went to sleep the other night and I came up with this other dream. Now that you stopped me from fighting, Habib, how about you let me out of my contract so I can go fight Oscar De La Hoya. And if you're the UFC, maybe you're savvy enough to say, maybe we, we give him an out where he can go box. Because you don't give him an out where he's just out. What then happens if one championship, because George St. Pierre has been affiliated with one, uh, a part of their apprentice series going on in Asia. You don't want to give Bellator an opportunity to bid Viacom. No, 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 no. Maybe you give GSP the opportunity to box. But wait, you're not boxing promotion. And the last time this guy was here, he was gonna. He said he was going to stay and defend. And then after he didn't, he said he was gone. But then he comes back and he just wants to dethrone a champion. And I just don't know if you're in the GSP business, if you're Dana White, considering all those factors. Considering Dana White asks you for the favor. You don't ask him. And GSP as all athletes should, taking power for their career into their hands and making the decisions. But you know what would make all these decisions even easier for GSP? Is if he just returned to the UFC and fought out his contract. There wouldn't be a returning to ask for favors. Well, he didn't want to fight them, but he wants to fight now, but he only wants to fight his people on his terms. Well, that works. When you're a Paul brother and you're a social media darling and icon and you're able to dictate everything you do because you're going to draw a large audience. Unfortunately for GSP, he is four years removed from his last fight and he is stuck in a contract that he cannot wiggle his way out of. So dreams of a matchup with Oscar De La Hoya, those seem to be unfathomable, unrealistic. Dreams of also this new notion that was recently, and I mean very recently in the last week, put up that GSP would like to see Nurmagomedov in a 165-pound catchweight. They're both retired. Why not do it? Because you're both retired, so just enjoy the retirement, guys. We thank you. We thank you for the, the events. We thank you for the fights. And as epic as I think it would be to see that fight, I don't think it's something that must happen. That has to happen. If GSP was looking around and felt that his biggest obstacle to conquer was the lightweight division, that decision could have came in 2016, 2017. Before going to middleweight, you could have moved down, you could have moved up, you moved up, and then you left. I fail to see the strength in the argument from GSP that I want to do what I want to do and I want to do. It's just not the way the UFC is going to allow it to happen. Whether it's right or not is not the point. Because even when we turn the page now 
and look at John Jones, a guy who has shot himself in the foot with his actions outside of the octagon that has possibly hurt his sellability and his persona, possibly, most likely, probably, definitely has. John Jones understands that there was a point throughout his career where he was underpaid. He would like for the UFC to make, make that up to him. And financially, it's just not going to happen because Dana White has dug his heels into the ground. Why? Same reason GSP. There's still fights left on your contract. A contract that you signed with fights on it and a number of money that we will pay you for those fights, an amount of money, and you agreed to it. So until this contract is fulfilled, why is there a necessity on Dana White's part to renegotiate? Now, negotiations happen, and they were more than willing to sit down with the John Jones team. And I thought a minor increase, bump in pay, 10%, 5%, 8%, 12%, something like that, more than likely would have made the Francis Ngannou-John Jones fight. Those negotiations break down, broke down because it sounded like the UFC champion wanted more like a, or the former UFC lightweight champion, John Jones, according to Dana White. Again, according to Dana White, basically wanted a 100% increase or a 300% increase in his pay. It's speculated that Jones has made $8 million per fight, maybe to $5 million, and that this time he was looking for $30 million, according to Dana White, so we know that's not going to fly. And Dana White has once again said he has let it set sail on his hopes of John Jones fighting. Well, we know that John Jones had split from front row management, longtime manager Malki Kawa. This week has been announced that Jones is now working with Richard Schaefer, comes from the boxing world, has worked with the likes of Mayweather, Canelo, De La Hoya, Hopkins many others, and has made some huge fights in the last two decades. So maybe when you bring in another professional negotiator and not trying to knock Melky Kawa, maybe just even a fresh voice to the situation and fresh perspective, there could be a trickle of hope, a small echelon of hope that the negotiations, that the communication, that that line will be reopened, that it will be relit, and this time we can have a positive result. And a positive result is John Jones getting the number he wants to climb back in the octagon that we get to see the greatest light heavyweight of all time answer the question that we've all asked. What would it be like if he went up to heavyweight and challenged for the title? Now that's a question that I want answered more than can 40-year-old GSP beat a already 200-pound Nurmagomedov full into retirement. I'd rather see the two guys that are talking about activity, and I'd rather see the marquee division in combat sports, the heavyweight title of the world on the line and being fought for by two incredible athletes, two mega names. Not that Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis 2 
It cannot be as bad as the first one. So unfortunately, guys, when that one happens in August, there's going to have to be a whole hype machine put behind this one to push it towards the finish line. Thankfully, all the recent knockouts and destructive paths that the Black Beast and Francis Ngannou have left in their paths make this one look like an automatic banger, an automatic heavyweight classic. But that's what we all thought and expected and hoped for the first time they were set to meet. And it was one of the most lackluster staring contests we've ever seen in MMA history. Yeah, it was that bad, people. Looks like on tap for August. Derek Lewis had a bad back. Francis Ngannou, let's be honest, his confidence was shaken. He needed to reestablish himself. He has definitely done that. He now has confidence in his takedown defense. I do believe we get a heavyweight fight that we are looking for. You're going to do Ngannou versus Lewis too. You're going to do it in Houston, Texas. That much has been assured. The state is open. They're able to welcome in a full crowd. That's what the UFC is going to do for pay-per-views. I'm still speculating that I believe fight nights will remain in the apex for at least the rest of the year. Will pay-per-views will flourish to cities as they reopen, as they allow full capacity audiences. The UFC with Florida Jacksonville, then Houston, then bouncing to Phoenix for UFC 263, Vegas for 264. I believe that they're going to keep bouncing around 265. I believe that's held open for Houston, Texas, and for Ngannou to take on Derek Lewis, and for Lewis to be able to main event, to walk into the Toyota Center, to one of the most prominent athletic figures in the city, to enter that arena, to get that love, to feel that energy. I liken it to Steve Amiotis. He should have fought in Cleveland, because when you think about Cleveland, there hasn't been a lot of sports to celebrate. When you think about Houston, yes, the Rockets did win a pair of championships. That was back in the 90s. Yes, you do have the stolen sign winning World Series that obviously have been blackballed. What would it mean for a guy like Derek Lewis, a guy that used his monster truck during floods to help people, that thwarts robberies, that is an all-around good guy who is somebody who has changed his life, is one of the biggest stars in that city. What would it mean for him to win the title right there at home in his building? I think it's great marketing. It's a great way to get another sellout. It's that way to put that extra pressure almost on Lewis that he has to perform after laying an egg the first time. I find that there is some genius in that business sense in making the fight there in Houston and that's what's speculated where you're going to see Amanda Nunez versus Juliana Pena as your co-main event Pena challenging Nunez for the women's bantamweight title after that fight Dana White has talked about the possibility of Stipe Miocic getting the winner because he has again fully let the ship sail on John Jones moving up to heavyweight but with a new advisor and a new player in the game Hopefully, John Jones is back in the title picture because it is really the fight that we all need to see. One championship, also throwing it out there real quick, that they would welcome 
a one versus UFC Super Show. I bet you would. Let's just like look around and, and say it how it is, people. I bet you would. I bet they really would. Uh, Renner Day Reiner right now, the one light heavyweight and middleweight champion of the world, is an intriguing man, an incredible grappler, and to say, hey, we'd want to put him against Israel Adesanya, or we'd want to put him at Jan, against Jan Blachowicz, Maybe, maybe you got me sold on there. But if we're just going to make a, a random card of guys against each other, that's less exciting. Uh, you look at the lightweight division, you tell me Charles Oliveira versus Christian Lee. I don't think it has that same kind of chops on it. Lee really had to earn this opportunity. In the same way, you want to look at putting Davidson Figueiredo in there in the flyweight title fight that might be appealing that might be appealing we saw what happened to Demetrius Johnson so that one might be appealing but I don't think any of the fighters from one championship have went on the kind of tear and have had the kind of fights and quality of fights like there were quality of fights in pride where it said we need to have this crossover event. Now, if you told me there was going to be a one Bellator crossover event, that might be a little bit more appropriate. Or even if you were going to, we're still waiting for more Bellator Rising crossovers. So that's why a Bellator one might be appropriate. Heck, even one an LFA crossover, that would be highly appropriate. We've seen just after winning the LFA title, James Nakashima getting signed to one championship. It's been few and far between, but yeah, sending one guy over to one championship. But one championship would welcome the opportunity to have a crossover event with the UFC. And if that isn't just implementing the seeds of, man, we could really benefit from that UFC touch from the kind of media and exposure that that event would bring to one championship, that would be quite something. And it's quite contradictory to one's constant boasting that they have over a billion fans worldwide, that they have this huge demographic overseas. And I love the product. I really do. Wake up early in the morning sometimes catch myself in the middle of the night going to the bathroom and if I know there's a one event up oh, I might stay up an extra few minutes and check it out because the action is that entertaining but to put them on the level of the UFC I, I think calling for this crossover event without a strict strategy game plan or reason is showing your cards a little bit that maybe your ratings maybe everything hasn't been as good for you as led on once before because we know the pandemic has taken a hit on everybody one more time to jump topics i got to talk about the bellator rankings because by now i actually was frustrated with them concerned about them and now i feel like they were almost created just to amuse me just just to amuse me I, I really like them and unfortunately I'm not sure who was kicked out of the rankings but Darian Caldwell jumps in at number 10 I know it was a close split decision loss to Leandro Higo 
but very interesting to make your debut in the top 10 rankings with a loss. I guess it was just the fact that Caldwell returned to the division. I know he's held the belt. I know he's the two-time champion. I'm just asking, what did the guy who was at 10 do to get kicked out of the rankings, or was it just the sure fact that Caldwell is back? Because even at a loss, Darren Caldwell is now at number 10. Now, as we keep going through the rankings, something makes sense. Leah McCourt moves up to... She moves past Janae Harding, somehow past Sinead Kavanaugh, also just beat Harding. That one makes sense. So we keep looking at the rankings. That was the women's flyweight division. In the light heavyweight division, Christian Edwards. Christian Edwards was not able to fight due to some medical findings. The commission would not allow it. He has been rebooked to compete at Bellator 261. And for not being able to compete, he's dropped two spots in the rankings. Tyree Fortune lost to Grant Neal. Tyree drops the space. Grant Neal stays where he is. Kind of makes sense. Not, not really making sense. Melvin Manhoof moves up one spot. I, I'm, I'm perplexed. Let, let's use that word. I am perplexed to see what has happened. Uh, Goichi Yamauchi, who has not fought since losing and really didn't lose any ground when he lost to Bobby Moffat, who I, I still don't see here in these rankings. Goichi falls down a spot. Peter Quilly, who beat Patricky Pitbull, Patricky up at number two. Quilly moves up a spot all the way to number five. Still looking up at the guy he just beat. Miles Jury falls down one. Avi Gonzali and Alexander Shibley, who both got wins this past weekend. This makes sense. They both entered the rankings. Great performances, and you enter the rankings. But at 6-0, is Gonzali ready for this? This is entering the thick of the water. Move over to the middleweight division. And we have a little more confusion, but a little more making sense. It's funny how we're getting this yin and yang balance this week. Austin Vanderford got a victory, and somehow, now being 2-0 and in Bellator, he has jumped over Anatoly Tokov. If you were paying attention to Bellator 259, Josh Thompson on the broadcast desk did let it slip that he believed Anatoly Tokov was going to be the next challenger for Gegard Mousasi. Tokov is 5-0 and in Bellator. So how is Vanderford moving above Tokov? Unless something is keeping Tokov out of the country, and then Vanderford is our number one contender. Also moving up a spot, jumping over Fabian Edwards. Edwards just lost to Vanderford. He drops from 4-5, to five, and moving up from 4-5 to five is Costello Van Eyes. Now let me remind you, that Fabian Edwards has lost two in a row. Decisions to Costello Van Ives and Austin Vanderford. Guess that Van Ives now needs to thank Vanderford for solidifying to the rankings people for Bellator that, yeah, Van Ives is better than Edwards. The decision went to improve that, but now he gets to be above him. So, like I said, yin and yang, a little more confusion. Well, a little more makes sense. Unbeaten, unbeaten, unbeaten. I'm telling you this when we're going to the welterweight rankings. Unbeaten, Joey Davis has dropped a spot. 
I don't know how you drop a spot when you haven't fought, when you're still undefeated, but he falls from 7 to 8. Derek Anderson is down from 6 to 7. Well, Paul Daly jumps from 8 to 6. You know they're going to book Paul Daly in some bigger fights, so he deserves to have a higher ranking. You know that just makes sense. Uh, he just beats Sabah Hamasi, so it makes sense that he's above Hamasi. But we're talking about the welterweight rankings. And unfortunately, Paul Daly still hasn't made 170. And he had health scares the last time he did. So can somebody explain to me how he's even in the rankings? And now we've went all the way through the Bellator rankings. Because that was not a lot of fun. That was just confusing. And that is kind of why I just think they're here. To give me something to talk about. And to talk to you people about each week. And to let you know a little bit about Bellator. Because we're watching Bellator. And I still love you, Bellator. But man, you do some wacky things. This has been Cage Mob. This has been Micah Frankel's Cage Mind. I don't even know what I want to say. I'm probably going to cut some of this out. talking about wackiness in the rankings I saw an announcement earlier today that Armin Tessarian had been given the number 15 ranking in the UFC lightweight contender rankings not seeing that anymore as Tiago Moises appears to be sitting there at number 15 Moises getting a bigger fight coming up here against Islam Makachev, so that puts 9 against 15. But I did see Tashurian saying that he was ranked number 15. Once again, more confusion coming from rankings. That should make sense, but it's not happening. And it happens all over the rankings. Visit CageMinds.com and keep up with us on social media. On Facebook, it's CageMinds Combat Sports News. Twitter at Cage Minds MMA on Instagram it's Cage Minds underscore CSN for Combat Sports News. Thanks for listening.